Father God, we just want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship today, to just to be able to go to church. And God, we just want to say thank you for this time of year and for how special Christmas is. And it really is a privilege to walk into a sanctuary that is just it's just decorated for this time. It's so beautiful, Lord, the, the trees and the manger scenes and the wreaths and the candles and the lights. God, all of these things are so wonderful and so good. But Father, we just want to come to you today and ask that you would help us during this time of year to not get carried away with um, things of the season or the busyness of the season, but God, that you would truly help us to focus on you and to remember you. Lord, as we lit the first candle this morning, Lord, it is represents all of the prophecies and all of the wonderful things that the people of Israel hoped for for hundreds and even thousands of years. That God, they patiently waited for you. And Lord, as we celebrate your coming and we patiently await your second coming, Jesus, we ask that you would speak into our hearts and that you would work and move. Lord, as we gather today, this is not just a time for us to to feel good and to go through the motions or to just enjoy this time of year. But God, it's a time of remembering who you are and what you've done for us. So Lord, I pray that you would help every person in this room, every person who's watching online, every person who will listen later on through the podcast, that, that you would help us all to be humble and submissive to you that we would allow your spirit to work and move in our lives and to change us. Lord, help us not to be stubborn or stiff-necked, but God, help us to be moldable, help us to be movable. And I pray, Lord, that we would surrender to your spirit and your ways. As always, we pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't able to be here today. God, we pray especially for Mr. Henry and his family. Lord, we lift up Ted and Inga and Miss Pat and David and Miss Helen and so many others, Lord. We just ask that you would touch their bodies and that your spirit would work in, move in them right now just as you work and move in us. Lord, we love you today. We thank you so much. And we ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Before we get started this morning, I just I want to say a special thank you to the worship team. Um, as leading worship in the past and doing that, you don't realize and understand a lot of times how much time it takes for them to get ready and prepare and uh, the amount of practice. And especially when it comes to Christmas music, Christmas music is especially hard to play and to be good at and to sing. And they do a wonderful job for us uh, to get this thing ready. And then they do the, the reading of the candles. So I would appreciate it if you would give them a hand and just let them know how much you appreciate them. <clears throat> 
another group that if you're just like, hey, I would like to send some Christmas cards this year and really thank people. The worship team's a good one. The guys at the back booth, Andy's snuck out, but the guys at the back booth, they're there every week. They're doing stuff that no one sees to make sure all this runs and that you get to watch it. If I do anything stupid, it'll be on the internet for eternity, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then the, the safety team outside, those guys do their stuff every week. And you don't realize this, these people are here most of the time, 8 a.m. or before every Sunday morning, and they're here till you guys get to leave, if not staying afterward and doing stuff. So make sure you thank these guys and tell them how much you appreciate them. They do a lot of work, and I'm very grateful for them. But we're going into a new series this month, and we're talking about orchestrating a holy night. Um, that's the title of the series. And today we're talking about the preparation of Israel. We forget a lot of times how significant the Christmas season is and everything that God did leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ as the virgin birth, the Messiah, everything that we celebrate during this time of year. It's not just years or decades or centuries. I mean, we're talking about thousands of years of preparation that God orchestrated and worked out perfectly so that when Jesus came as a baby, when he came 2,000 years ago, it was all set up and perfect. And the 400 and something prophecies from the Old Testament were all fulfilled perfectly through all this stuff as Jesus lived his life. God worked all this stuff out so amazingly perfect. And if you think about our lives and how in our lives like we make plans... And we try to communicate with people and even like in, in, in a marriage, like with your spouse, as much as you may love them or even your children or your parents, as much as you may love them, how difficult it is to even communicate among yourselves to make sure that you're communicating clearly, that you don't miscommunicate, that you don't get angry with one another, you know, through miscommunication and you work all that stuff out. Um, it's really difficult, but God orchestrated an entire world, empires, put the perfect people in place at just the right time to do all this stuff. And today we're talking about the preparation of the people of Israel. And many of you may know this, but um, when it came to Israel, there was about 400 years that passed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And usually when you look at Scripture, not all Scripture is... So the books of the Bible aren't in chronological order. But it just so happens that Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And Malachi just happens to be the last book that we know of that was written from what we can tell. So it was about 450 years before Christ, Malachi is believed to be written down. And then for 400 and something years, there's, there's nothing. There, as far as we know, there's no significant message from the Lord in this 400-year gap. And I don't know about you guys, but it gets really hard whenever you just don't hear anything. I can't imagine what it was like for the people of Israel to just be living and doing their thing. And... You know, they, they're so used to hearing all these wonderful stories that their great-grandparents and their grandparents and their parents told them that God had done. And they're living in this time and they haven't heard anything. God hasn't moved in a powerful way. The Roman Empire has come in. It's taken over. Life has become pretty miserable for them. They had a lot of really bad experiences as the Romans occupied their territory. And you can read about all that stuff in history. It's, it's fascinating, but it's really sad. And um, it's, it's, it's a really uh, amazing thing that 400 years passed, and, and yet there's, there's nothing. 
And then all of a sudden, when we get to the New Testament, after 400 years, the silence breaks. Now, I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times silence can be a lot louder than noise. And we talked about this in education courses. It's, it's proven true in youth ministry. It's proven true as a parent. I've talked to other youth pastors about this. And we've talked to other teachers. It's like, look, when you hear silence, you need to go check it. Right? Like, as a parent, you know when things get quiet. For whatever reason, kids don't understand this. That, that as soon as they get quiet, it's almost like as soon as they start doing something wrong, everything gets quiet. And it's so much louder than noise. And you notice it. Like, you, you can hear it. You can feel the silence. You can feel the change. And there's something within us that causes us to go looking to see why is it so quiet. Even in movies, when they're depicting something bad about to happen. You ever heard the phrase, the calm before the storm? When everything gets quiet, that's when you know you should go looking, looking for something to happen. So after 400 years of silence... We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 1, verses 6 through 20. And this is the story of Zechariah fulfilling his duties as a priest in the temple. And it's pretty amazing because this time of year we celebrate Jesus, but we, we forget a lot of times that the silence is broken with a very unlikely man and woman. So let's read this together, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So starting with verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. And we'll stop right there. And I'm going to remind you, for the past two Sundays, our points have been God requires obedience. And it shouldn't be any surprise that in the midst of this story, for the first time in over 400 years, when God decides to speak and move in someone's life in a powerful way, He does it with two people who are careful to be obedient to the very T of everything that God has commanded and asked them to do. Obedience is so important. Verse 7, They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And we'll stop right there. Because I want you to understand that as Zechariah was very old, and from my understanding of what happened inside this life of being a priest and serving in the temple, he's very old. He spent his entire life ministering in the temple. And you can live your entire life and serve in the temple and yet never really get to do anything of significance. Like your name, like they, they cast lots for who was going to go and burn the incense and who was going to go in the Holy of Holies and who was going to do all these things. And you could spend your entire life serving the Lord in the temple and never really get to do anything other than just the normal ho-hum stuff that everyone else got to do. And here's Zechariah, who's this very old man. We don't know how old he is. Very old. And for some of you in here, very old might be perspective for some of you. But he's very old. Well beyond the age of bearing children, him and his wife. And as he's serving in, in the temple, they cast lots, and his name was chosen to enter into the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And you only got to do this once. And so we know that Zechariah never got to do this before. 
Because once you were chosen one time to do it, your name was never put in to cast lots again. So this was the only time he was ever going to get to do this. And if you think about his life, and you think about everything that he had done, and, and the obedience, and everything that was leading up to this moment, it would have been very easy for him to just be like, he could be 60, 70, 80 years old. He could be 90 years old. And out of all those decades, my name's never been drawn, never got to do this. He could have let his guard down. He could have not been prepared. He could have been willing to just like let it slide and go to the temple that day, fully expecting for his name not to be drawn. And in the midst of this story, to recognize that you have a man and a woman who are very faithful to do everything that God's asked him to do, that on the day, that one day that his name is finally drawn and he finally gets called to go and minister before the Lord, that he's actually ready to do it. And if you think in our lives how many times we've come to church, whether we just we weren't prepared, we came rushed in, we haven't prayed, we haven't read Scripture, maybe we're living in sin, maybe, maybe there's some stuff in our life that shouldn't be there. How many times we've come to church and we've just not been prepared to be there and to worship the Lord? But Zechariah was faithful. And he was willing to be ready when his name was drawn. So verse 10. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. That's significant too. That although there are some people who are fortunate enough to do what we deem as important things, that there's still a faithful group of people who are gathered around and prayerfully supporting the person who's doing what is significant. That's extremely important too. There's still a, a group of people who are faithful to come and to pray as Zechariah is ministering before the Lord. So verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. I love this, but if you, if you follow Scripture... Every time someone has an encounter with an angel or with the, with the presence of the Lord, they're always afraid. You with me? They're always afraid. We're studying in Proverbs. Solomon has, has written several times. We're only in chapter 3, multiple times already, emphasizing the fear of the Lord. We forget this a lot of times. But you never forget this. Every time someone has an encounter with the Lord, they're always afraid. But the Lord always responds... But the angel said, don't be afraid. So there's fear, but they tell him not to be afraid. Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Let me call your attention to something else. You ready for this? I can't tell you this morning that if you drink or if you participate in other substances or anything like that, that you're living in sin. But what I can tell you is if you follow Scripture and you look at anyone that God has specifically chosen and said, this child is special, this child is significant, I have a specific plan for their life, God always requires the parents to make sure that they abstain from alcohol and other things in their life. That's worthy to be noted. 
You taunt your children. You, you think about your children from a spiritual perspective. You want your children to do significant things and to serve the Lord and you yourself. Consider that. Not that it's a requirement, but God always asks that of people who are about to do something extremely special or significant. Just take note of that. Verse 16. And He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. So even before Christ, John, this is the one the angel speaking of, John the Baptist is going to turn many Israelites to God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people of the coming of the Lord. So in the midst of this, when we're talking about preparation, we're talking about the preparation of the silence leading into Israel, and then John preparing the way for the people of Israel. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God, and it was He who sent me to bring you this news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Point number one this morning, God waits for obedience. Now, I can't tell you that, that everything had to happen exactly as it happens, because you, know, you could get into weeks-long theological debates as to, like, does everything have to happen exactly how it's happened, or could God have moved in a different way? But you need to understand this morning that there was 400 years of silence. There's a lot of things that had to happen in order for the prophecies to be fulfilled, in order for all the right things to be in place. But you also need to understand today that even for Jesus to come, there had to be someone that it was prophesied about to come before Jesus to prepare the way of His coming. And we serve a God who is not persuaded or manipulated. When you think this morning... And you go back to that whole idea of every time someone has an encounter with God in Scripture, when they see an angel of the Lord, they're in the presence of the Lord, they are fearful. This is not something that you can manipulate or persuade in any way, shape, or form, but God calls us to a relationship with Him that, that calls us to submitting. It calls us to humbleness. It calls us to obedience. And in that, God will wait. Because the truth is, is that God is eternal. And God can wait for all of eternity, as long as He wants to. And we have to come to this realization that you and I are finite. Like, we have a beginning, and we have an end. And we can't afford to wait. But if we want to be a part of God's plan, if we want God to use us, if we want to have a relationship with Him, He calls us to obedience, and God waits for obedience. And God will not accept anything less than obedience. And when you look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, <coughs> in their situation, their circumstances, they were old. The ability for them to have children was beyond their ability, beyond their circumstances. It was no longer even considered a possibility in their life from a human perspective. 
And when God sees people who are willing to be obedient, He works and moves in ways that's not possible according to human standards because the world and the laws of nature and the laws of humans do not apply to Him. And God's not looking for people who are able to have babies. God's looking for people who are obedient. Because if He can find somebody who's obedient, then He can give them a baby. You with me this morning? He's not looking for people who have great abilities to speak or great abilities to teach or all these talents or all these wonderful things. He's simply looking for people who are going to be obedient because He can take an obedient person and do anything He wants to with them. God will wait for obedience. And there's some of us today, we love Jesus. We're trying our best to live for Him. But the truth is, as we know, there's something that we're just not being 100% obedient. And we want God to use us, and we want to help build His kingdom, and we want to do something significant in this life and significant spiritually. But the truth is, God will wait. He will wait on obedience. You're sitting here this morning, and you really need to understand how important it is that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both obedient. We miss that a lot of times because, you know, the story's about Zechariah. He, he's the main character. But don't think it's anything to pass over and ignore that Elizabeth was obedient to and that she was careful to. Because I want to share with you today, if you're sitting in here, and this is, this is just truth. I, I hate to say it, but it's true. If you have a spouse or someone that you're paired with who is not serving the Lord to the same capacity that you are, you're always going to struggle. You're never going to be able to serve God in the same way or fashion as, a, as an individual as long as they're, you're paired with someone who's not willing to do it. Because the truth is, they're, they're going to hold you back. You're going to have to deal with situations and circumstances. You're going to have to deal with problems. You're going to have to deal with arguments inside that relationship that people who are both serving the Lord are not going to have to deal with. It is an extreme blessing, and it's very rare to find a a husband and a wife who are willing to serve God and do that together in the same fashion so that God can use them to the full potential that He created them for. And if one spouse refuses... You need to understand this morning, God can still use you. God can still work and move in your life, but it's going to be more of a challenge. You're always going to feel like it's hard, like it's more of a fight. And it doesn't mean that you should quit. It doesn't mean that you should not try. But in the same respect, if you're sitting here today, and let's just say you're dating somebody, or you're friends with somebody, or you're on the team, or you're at a job, and you're constantly surrounded by people who are not serving the Lord, who are not devoting their lives to the Lord, they are constantly going to be a hindrance to you. They're constantly going to drain you. They're constantly going to bring you down. It's one of the reasons why Scripture talks about us not being unequally yoked. It's one of the reasons why Scripture calls us to make sure that we're, we're making these decisions and understand that as we pair ourselves with people, that we're surrounding ourselves with other believers because we need that in our lives. And the more people you have, especially with a spouse, but even friends, even co-workers, teammates, the more people you have who are influencing you in the name of the Lord, they will help you become a better follower of Christ. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
We need that. And the same thing in a marriage. A husband and a wife will sharpen each other. And Zachariah and Elizabeth had this. It's a wonderful blessing. And God waited until He had a couple who was obedient together. Who that both of them were not going to struggle and fight over how they were going to raise this kid because it wasn't up to them. God gave the instructions for how the kids should be raised. They had to agree together that they were going to honor God and raise that kid together according to His standards. Point number two. God waits for desperation. I don't know about y'all, but when we're desperate for things, it, it changes. There's nothing in this life, and you can testify to this this morning, there's nothing in this life that if you've had to work for it, fight for it, bleed for it, suffer for it, pay for it, it means so much more than something that you just got easily or for free, does it not? And God has a way of bringing about situations of desperation in our life. When you look at this story and you look at this moment, there's a desperation among the people of Israel. They are 400 years without a message from the Lord. Nothing. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes whenever we're serving the Lord and we're praying about things and we're, we're talking about stuff, it's like, when time passes and we don't feel like the prayers have been answered, or we don't feel like nothing's changing, or if we don't feel like anything significant's happening, we begin to doubt, right? You begin to question. You begin to wonder, Lord, is this even what you want? Lord, are you even there? Lord, are you listening? Lord, what's going on? We begin to have all these questions we begin to doubt. And so God, a lot of times brings about situations and circumstances in our life that helps create an environment of desperation for Him. And you can testify to this this morning. How many of you have had a time in your life where you were miserable and completely desperate, whether it be health issues, relationship issues, work issues, whatever, where you were completely desperate in those moments and you grew more with the Lord during those times than you have in any other time in your life? I can testify to that. And what's funny is, is that as people who we say we believe in Jesus and we love Jesus, and we know that in the difficult times we grow the most, and James says, consider it pure joy, dear brothers and sisters, when you experience trials and tribulations because they help develop you and all that other stuff. It's like, as people, we would say, okay, well, there shouldn't be a need of desperation in our life for the Lord because we grow more during that time. And if we really love Jesus, we will want to grow with Him as much as we can. But the truth is, none of us want to suffer, do we? And so because we don't want to, God creates situations that allow us to be desperate. And the people of Israel have spent 400 years in silence and they're kind of getting a little restless. And the Romans have come in and they're oppressing them. And it's very, it's not comfortable. The people of Israel are not comfortable during this time in existence. And then you look at Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they are desperate. Because what do they want more than anything else? What did the angel of the Lord say that he had heard their prayers of? A child. They were old, they were beyond the age of having children. And yet they were still praying for it. Which speaks a lot more of Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
because it was beyond the age of possibility and yet they were still crying out for it because they believed that God could do it despite the world not believing that it could be done. So they still believed and they still had faith and they were desperate and they were at this point in their life where they were very willing to do anything that God had asked them to do. And for the first time in his life, in this moment, Zechariah is picked to go into the ministry before the Lord to burn the incense at the altar. And God begins to reveal and speak and work and move. And when we're ready, God has a wonderful way of preparing us. Point number three. God prepares us when we're ready. You know, it's not enjoyable It's not something that we look forward to. It's not something that we long for. But the truth is, sometimes God has to bring us to desperation and He has to prepare us for what He wants us to do. Um, One of the most common themes in Scripture, you know, you laugh about this, I talk about it all the time, but man, it's, it's all throughout the Bible, is circumcision. The whole process of removing the excess so that everything else can be better. And the analogy of that, of, of the circumcision of our lives, of our hearts, of, of stuff, of time, of desires, like the removal of all these things in our life that takes up so much room so that God can put things in its place that's better. And so God prepares us in that way. You know, having children is something that a lot of people take for granted I know there's some of you in here that just had children. Um, You you may not have even planned on it. You know, we we always say there's no such thing as accidents, but it it may not have been something that you had planned. But some people really struggle. And for for Hannah and I, it was was kind of eye-opening. It was one of those things that I took children for granted. I'll I'll be transparent in that word. I was not excited to have kids. Hannah kept on like saying, it's time, you're getting old, it's time, we got to do this. I'm like, oh, let's wait a little longer. I took it for granted. I just thought we'd just do it whenever we wanted to. And with our struggle with our first two kids that we lost, you know, it was kind of eye-opening of, man, you're, you're really not in control of this. Like you can do everything right. You can do everything that you know of that you're supposed to do. And it's not just up to you. You know, the Lord just, He's got His plans and He's got His purpose. And I can tell you from that that there's nothing that we do with Perry and Naomi or Hattie that I don't feel like we have thought about or discussed or prayed over or really like just meticulously planned in some way because it's made us look at our three kids that we have totally different because we in a lot of ways, I appreciate them so much more than I would have if we would have just had them. And that's sad to say, but it's true. You know, I would have taken them for granted, but when you realize and that's been, when that's revealed to you that you're not in control of this and that it's God's, and it's, it was a realization that it's so much more of God's than it is yours. You look at Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they're kind of in this situation where, you know, they're old, and, and it's not possible for them to have kids according to human or worldly standards, and yet God has them in this place where they're absolutely willing to do any and everything they can to have a a kid. I don't know about you, but we have some friends, we've known people, it's amazing what people will do in order to have a kid. And like there's all kinds of options now, and, and 
There's so many ways that you can go about that process if you struggle with it. And, and it really is. It's, some of it's kind of scary and some of it's kind of questionable and some of it's like, you know, you don't really know. And so there's so many options. That, but it's amazing what people are willing to do just to have a kid. How much money people are willing to pay. And you think about Zachariah and Elizabeth and they're in this situation in life where God's, he's got their obedience. They're obedient, man. I mean, like they're old. Their time has passed. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. He's created this sense of desperation. Now he's got them right where he wants them. Where he's like, look, I can come to you right now and I can say, look, I'm going to give you a kid. And this is the way that I want you to raise this kid. Because everyone else has this attitude of this is my child and I'm going to raise it the way that I want to and I'm going to do what I want to. And a lot of times even dads and moms start fighting over what's the right thing to do. But God says, I don't want you to fight over this and I don't want you to raise it the way you want to or the way you want to. These are the rules for this child and I'm willing to give it to you if you're going to do it my way. And as believers this morning to understand when God creates a desperation in our life and He has the obedience and He has us in a place where we're willing and ready and prepared to do the things that God has called us to do, but not do it the way we want it, but do it the way that God wants it, that's the best place that we can be in. And when you start talking about the coming of Jesus and you think of like what it took to not only prepare the people of Israel, but even Zechariah and Elizabeth and bringing up and eventually John the Baptist coming and him going out and preaching and preparing the way for the coming of the Lord and how crazy and weird and significant John the Baptist was. And Zechariah and Elizabeth raised him. They had specific instructions. And I bet you, I, I, I know personally that the desperation that was in their life caused them to treat that child different than what they would have if they had just had him when they were 20 or 30 years old. And as God wants obedience, and as God prepares us, we need to remember point number four, that God expects us to have faith. This is my favorite part of the story. Because you can read this and you do the research, and Zechariah came... All of his family members from the time that they come into Israel and they occupied the promised land, all of his family members had descended from a line of priests. All of Elizabeth's parents had descended from the Eli's portion of priests, all his descendants. And so it would be really easy for us this morning to be like, okay, well, they were raised as priests. They always were at the temple. They know the rules. No wonder they were obedient. It's like, yeah, they had a little bit of a different life than you and I have lived. They were raised in it their whole lives. Yeah, they were taught that their whole lives. And that's a great advantage. But even in the midst of being raised in the midst, in, in all that, to know, to be obedient, to be prepared, to be desperate, and to be ready to receive this blessing from the Lord that God had created... Even in the midst of it, seeing the angel Gabriel with their own eyes and having this conversation with him, Zechariah still didn't believe. He still lacked faith. 
And as, as Christians, like our, our relationship with Christ hinges off of faith, off of our belief that God exists, that Christ came and bled and died for our sins, that we have an eternal home. Our whole relationship and even our obedience hinges on the fact of, do we really believe that sacrificing things of the world and being obedient to God has enough payoff in the end for me to be willing to do it? That's faith. And in this story, Zacharias sees the angel Gabriel, receives this message from the Lord. And he says, but we're old. See, even in his own mind in that moment, he doubted. But we're old. How can I be sure that what you said is going to happen? And sometimes that's a little unfair because there's times in Scripture where people say, Lord, how can I be sure? And then God will give them a sign. And in this moment, Zechariah says, but God, how can I be sure this is going to happen? And you look at what Gabriel says. I am the angel Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God, and He's the one who gave me this message to give to you. And because you didn't believe which makes Zacharias so much more human and so much more relatable, that even in the midst of this great, awesome opportunity, this great moment for the silence to be broken after 400 years, you're going to be silent and you're not going to be able to talk because you didn't believe what I said in the name of the Lord. And the most significant thing that's happened in the world in 400 years that we know of, Zechariah now cannot speak and can't tell anyone about it. Think about how frustrating that would be to have that experience, to have that moment, to get that good news and not be able to go and tell your spouse what what was coming, to to not tell her, to not be able to tell all those people who are outside praying and and seeking the Lord on your behalf as you're ministering because they believed how important it was and not being able to come out and, and tell them and express what you saw, what you heard, what God was about to do. And I think if we were honest, and, and I don't I think we would probably be scared to think of how many times our f- doubt has caused us to be silent, has caused us not to be able to receive what the Lord has for us or share what the Lord has done for us or share what God wants to do for others because we get in this mindset where we just... And we do. And we would all be lying to say that we don't. To know that doubt doesn't creep in, that Satan does not come and try to whisper doubt into our ears and in our hearts and in our minds. Because he knows if he can make us doubt, he can cripple us. And when you look at Zechariah, in all of his obedience, in all of his faithfulness, in all of his readiness to receive what God has done, even still, he doubted. You know, as we close up today, I kind of feel like we're in this time of silence in our world. It's like you think about it, it's like, yeah, we've, we've had people saved, we've had people baptized, we've had people join the church, we've had some good things happening. Other churches are experiencing good things, but, you know, when you think about our world and our culture, and you hear about some of the revivals that took place decades ago, centuries ago, 
Some of the ways that God moves, the ways that you read Scripture and you hear about these wonderful things happening in the New Testament. It's like, God, where is that at today? You know, I feel like we're just in this time of silence, and I want to encourage you this morning as we as we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the coming of Christ, and you you think about what all this stuff means to understand that we're we're celebrating the Advent, not this this whole thing about Jesus coming in the flesh. And we light this candle to remember His first coming. There was 400 years of silence. And it would have been very easy for Israel and Zechariah and Elizabeth and all those people outside the curtain praying for them to be lulled asleep and think, what I do doesn't matter. I don't have to be obedient. I don't have to do this. They've been saying Jesus was going to come back for 2,000 years and He hasn't come back yet. But you got to remind yourselves, you know, do you believe what you, you say you believe in Christ? What do you believe about Him? What do you believe about God's Word? Because His Word says that He will come again. That there's a second coming. That these people got to experience the first coming. And we get to benefit from the first coming. But we have to patiently wait for that second coming. And we have to make decisions in our life of whether or not we're going to be faithful. If we're going to do what God's called us to do. If we're going to be obedient in our aspects of life so that whenever we're called, whether we go to meet Jesus or Jesus comes back that second time and comes to meet us, when that, when that trumpet sounds and when we're called, are you going to be ready? Am I going to be ready? Are we going to be ready as a church? Because the truth is, is we're all called to be ready. We're all called to be faithful. We're all called to be obedient. If you're sitting here this morning and you love Jesus and you're willing to say, man, I would love for God to use me to do something significant. We've got to be ready and we've got to be obedient. And the only thing we can do is wait, patiently wait. Because the truth is, the silence is louder than any noise that can be made. And as we're experiencing a time of silence, in my opinion, of where we're not seeing these great and powerful movements of God, this is probably some of the biggest times that we need to be ready. That we need to be reminding ourselves, Jesus said He's coming. We need to be faithful, we need to be obedient, and we need to be ready for when that happens. Because it will eventually. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much again for this day. And thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Oh, we're so grateful for the stories like this and so grateful for Elizabeth and Zechariah. God, I pray that you would work and move and speak to our hearts and help us to be men and women of faith, to be obedient. We're just willing to trust in you. Jesus, we love you and thank you. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.